welcome to the seventh episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we dig into the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from all kinds of different disciplines, professions, and specialties, so we can solve real-world problems with people that face them. On this podcast, we aim to debate hard topics, challenge each other's perspectives, and clear some cross-departmental air. I'm Ken Toller, representing Application Security, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Simon Dolo, representing Product Engineering, and Jameson Colburn for DevOps. And also, Jameson, welcome back. Um, you have power now, and you're able to record and join us again. Um, are you all set up? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful to be back to the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to survive. It's like, you know, you're starting fires, trying to uh, send smoke signals to each other about DevSecOps. That would have been a, an interesting episode. <laughs> So yeah, welcome back, man. Uh, we, we missed you last time, but I think uh, Simon and I hold it down pretty well. Um, I also want to say thank you to everyone that's listened. Um, we've, we've, we've had over 100 downloads now, which is uh, pretty exciting. I didn't really expect it to get that far in, in, uh, in this short amount of time. So I appreciate everybody that is listening. Uh, we've also got listeners from all over the globe, which is pretty exciting. Um, so yes, thank you so much for uh, your support. If you have any feedback or anything, please let us know. And we'd love to answer questions. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, we're going to get into a live episode at some point um, when we have enough of a, of a set. Um, but yeah. So after uh, we did our sort of people-centric topics, we had some documentation and training uh, discussions. And then we also turned it over to, um, to titles for development and things like that. And now we're sort of coming back into some more technical topics this time around. And I would say this is something that pretty traditionally falls in the DevOps arena. So I'm going to turn it over to Jameson to just uh, talk about it. But the topic for today is service mesh and the perspectives from our various points of view um, on that. So Jameson, this was a topic that you brought to the table so how do you want to kick this off? Do you want to give us a rundown of sort of the DevOps understanding of service mesh, the benefits, or uh, do you want us to come at it from our side and, and sort of tell you like how we view it and have you tear us apart or what do you want to do? I, I definitely don't want to tear you guys apart. That doesn't sound very <laughs> friendly, but um, I mean, yeah, I'll sure I'll kick it off. I mean, service mesh is something near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm, I, I would say I'm a big fan of adding complexity to my network layer, uh, starting back in the days of, you know, the early days of SDN, um, you know, with a lot of uh, the proof of concept type stuff, but then more practically on OpenStack with using Neutron and, uh, using Neutron with NSX was uh, a big project that I did as, as far as like my practical production deployment of uh, of software-defined networking. Um, and so I, I really like what Service Mesh has done uh, because it's taken that complexity of SDN that typically required uh, developers that were very network-centric or network engineers that had a development mindset and, and kind of pushed it all the way down from, you know, like if you think about the OSI model, like service mesh really gets you down to, to you know, layer seven where I'm at the application layer now. My, you know, my network is a first class citizen. It's no longer this scary black box that's completely abstracted. And I just throw packets into it and hope they make their way to the right place. Um, so really, yeah, it's, it's an exciting topic. Uh, I think we're in kind of an exciting time for it. You have a lot of um, a lot of kind of competing uh, open source projects and a lot of big names backing various players there. 
Uh, I don't know how much we want to go into that, but um, but really the, the thing I love about service mesh though is there is something for everything, everyone, right? And with that, like I would say primarily, I would the the fundamental thing is kind of what I said before was you know it does it abstracts networking to a layer in which it's palatable to everyone, but also it facilitates uh, separation of concerns, but at the same time, kind of providing everybody with better observability for you know what they want. So you know security gets things like. Um, mutual TLS, uh, authentication, authorization, uh, devs get like, you know, service discovery, circuit breakers, fault tolerance, um, client side load balancing, and then DevOps, like, of course, you know, we have to implement the thing, but at the same time, uh, it's like simplification of routing really for, for DevOps. And then, um, uh, is, you know, visibility, observability, like I said before, and really with the mutual TLS, the most wonderful thing is less certificates to manage, which I know nobody enjoys doing. So, um, and there's also obviously tons of other benefits, but like at a very surface level, um, that's what gets me excited about service mesh. And that's why I was excited to talk about it today. Nice, man. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there for sure. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you basically gave us the laundry list of features and those, some of those are attractive. Um, some of those, uh, like you said, add the complexity, uh, I'll sort of hold mine back. Simon, do you have any comments on like where you stand on service mesh, how it benefits you? Yeah, I, so I will say in terms of integration and use, I really haven't ever worked with a full fledged service mesh. You know, I've had some, um, I guess you want to, you can call it a sidecar that added logging capability that helped me track stuff. So nothing crazy there. Um, but one thing that did stand out to me is there's a lot of positivity from Jameson's side in terms of the service mesh and what it can do for you, which I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I, I do feel like uh, in a perfect world, you have this, uh, you know, this integration where your sidecar is like Sean Conray and Indiana Jones, and he's like basically fixing all the crap that product engineering doesn't want to deal with. I don't have to care about tracing and networking and, um, you know, all the stuff that Jameson mentioned. It's all handled for me externally, and I can keep going uh, the the same way I do. But uh, going back to my selfish product developer brain, this to me, and, and this might just be my my naive point of view, it does seem like a very hot topic right now in terms of something that you can do really, really right or really, really wrong. Um, you know, for me, I'm going back to the concept of a monolith in terms of product development. It can work. If your your application is simple enough, a monolith can work. It's when things get really complicated and you start having business logic that you migrate to the concept of microservices. And I feel like this is the same thing when it comes to DevOps. It's Things are getting really complicated. I need to abstractify them. And if you don't do that correctly, and if you don't coordinate with product engineering, you're going to have duplicated work. I might be, you know, having my own, um, you know, own set of uh, service mesh functionality inside my application that is doing the exact same that, thing that you're doing. And that doesn't, you know, we're not even talking about latency costs because that is something they have to consider when you're adding a service mesh. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's important to know that this is a very awesome tool if you build and use it correctly. Yes, I I am very much with you on the if you use it correctly. I I can't tell you how many times. I mean, even security tools or security, uh, like even DevSecOps, right? Is that <laughs> if you try to implement it in a way that is uh, sort of contrary to what's what's expected, or you're not implementing uh, certain aspects of it, or there's a, a particular thing that attracts you that you're only implementing that thing, that it can go really south really fast. Um, for, for me, service mesh, the initial 
interest was when I was talking to Jameson about it and it was, and we were digging into service discovery and my naive assumption of that initially was that will solve my application inventory problems. And that only goes so far, right? There are, I didn't really understand the full scope of that, but it did solve some of those problems with application inventory because those hidden, those hidden applications that get spun up start to go away, but only if your onboarding process uh, into service meshes is accurate and that everything is part of that service mesh. And then to your point again on the monolith versus the microservices, some of these things don't necessarily go together. My, uh, microservices aren't you know, for everyone as much as we'd like That's to think that they would go that way. And if you do have a monolithic app, that can work in some cases, just like waterfall can work in some cases. So if you're, you know, if you're focused on the on the the brightest thing in the in the sky, uh, you can definitely get wrapped up in that. But hype all that development, exactly. <laughs> hype, hype, hype driven development is is not something. And there's don't get me wrong. There's hype driven security as well, right? The latest and greatest, uh, you know, protect product is you know, only as good as dependable. Yeah. Or, or how far you can implement it, but I won't diverge from the topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to me, I think, so it's that inventory aspect of it. Um, there's a lot of buzzwords that come out of service mesh. I think that in a conversation about service mesh, you're going to get Kubernetes, DevSecOps, service mesh itself, and zero trust. Right. So there's like so much that uh, you can attach yourself to in, in there and so many places it can be sold to you or from you uh, that I think can be a little bit um, disconcerting. But I, I do like the idea of zero trust, the idea of that explicit authorization between applications that we always struggle for. The mutual TLS, uh, treating the applications as an identity is really attractive, especially as, um, you know, our our perimeter uh, becomes more identity driven in cloud-based workloads versus uh, on-prem, you know, that identity piece becomes a very, a very strong part of your first step in your security, you know, implementation. So there's a lot of things here that I find appealing. Um, I just, it's like you said, it's how do we implement that? Like, what is our first step uh, that makes it something that we can actually attach ourselves to that's tangible, that concerns me about uh, the conversation within Service Mesh because it, it has a lot of these attractive features and buzzwords. It's like, but where do you, where do you actually begin with it um, that I have, yeah, that I, I take umbrage with? I think that's a fair <laughs> critique, right? And similar to a lot of things, right? Like, I don't think you necessarily need to build a Service Mesh day one, right? But it also, in a lot of ways, it doesn't hurt if you have that, you know, capacity to be able to maintain that. But it's kind of finding the, as always, finding the right tool for the job, right? Like this is going to simplify a lot of things for you, but is going to add a, I wouldn't say substantial overhead, but it will add complexity to your architecture, right? It, wait, there's a lot wait. of things that are abstracted. We have to walk that back because it's simple, but complex, I think yeah. is what you just said. That it's, was a very, that was a meshy statement. Too, so. <laughs> it's, it simplifies a lot of the things that like I can, I mean, you've probably implemented mutual TLS, right? It is not a fun thing to do, right? Maintaining right. certificates on just the, the maintenance of certificates um, alone is a pain, 
So to have that alone abstracted is one thing, right? Not to mention network policies where, you know, rather than maintaining these esoteric security groups and trying to ensure that I'm not over granting that permission and, and ensuring no one's, you know, um, updating it out of band, out of my infrastructure's code. And instead, I just define policies, right? And those policies are enforced by the, you know, the, the underlying technology itself. So I, I think there... It, it's simple but complex, I think is a good way of putting it, um, because it does simplify certain things, but it adds complexity in a whole other area that you might not uh, be comfortable with, right? I don't think you can, like, I don't say, I'm not going to say you have to be a network engineer, but you have to understand networking, I think, to a certain degree in order to be successful at this. And a lot of a lot of companies have done a good job of commercializing service mesh and starting to abstract that complexity just by providing a commercial offering that has an installer and setup instructions. And, and you can go off to the races and you can, you know, be fairly successful until it breaks. And then it's kind of, well, what, what do I do? What is this thing? Um, and I think that's a lot of where we are with technology today, where uh, a lot of things that were more foundational or closer to um you know, I guess not as abstracted, were easier to troubleshoot and easier to understand because you wrapped your heads around head around the fundamentals, right? And uh, I feel like I'm going to be like a soccer coach or golf instructor here and talk about fundamentals. But um, as you abstract these things, right, they become you. You kind of lose that knowledge of the, what the underpinnings are. And so, unless you uh, unless you are an expert at you know networking, which I don't even know what that means at, at this point. Um, if your service mesh breaks, uh, you're going to be in trouble, right? Unless you have commercial support that you reach out and you say, hey, my thing is broken. But you're going to be in better shape if you understand what's going on, you know, under the hood beneath, you know, that uh, that service mesh. So, and especially like as, this, you know, there's different ways to implement a service mesh as we covered. And the other thing, I'm going to say service mesh like a hundred times this episode, I feel like, right? <laughs> I need like a useful abbreviation for it. But um, with that, if you don't understand what's going on underneath, when it breaks, it's going to be more complex. And as you spin out that architecture and, and say you're doing multi-cloud and you're bridging your mesh across multi multiple clouds, it's just going to get even worse, right? And, and at the end of the day, there does need to be a network still that all this rides on. So you do need to still solve that problem. You know, the your, your lower levels of the OSI model still need to be accounted for. You can't just forget about it. Maybe that's a different team, but in the spirit of DevSecOps, we'll pretend it's all one team. Uh, but yeah, it, it's I'd say, it, it, going back to my point, it simplifies certain things. It adds a nightmare of complexity in others, probably is the best way to put that, qualify yeah. that statement. And Jameson, in terms of, you know, I, I don't know how many different uh, frameworks or, you know, open source service mesh layers you've used, but is the complexity something that you feel you have enough visibility into? Because there's some, I mean, this is like a common problem in engineering, right? Like the same thing in, in terms of development, you know, I've, I've, Spring is an example that I've used for years and years. I've seen it since it's like been developing and I, I know the internals, but someone who approaches that and sees, you know, why is this random bean being injected here you know i have no idea i don't know if i want to know but let's just keep moving i'll just I'm, like i'll pretend i didn't ask that like from a devops perspective since really for maintaining and and, and keeping this alive you're going to be the single point of failure it's either that or the third party company that you're you're communicating with so do you do you feel like in the way it's advancing you you have the tools you know like what's going on under under the hood because i definitely don't yeah i think it's really one of uh, one of those things it's 
a lot of these are open source, uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak ill of anybody's open source contributions. I'm very grateful for the open source community and all the work that they do. Um, but without commercial support, you are at the what I would qualify as the good graces of the open source community. Uh, who do you feel like reaching out to on Slack or IRC or you know GitHub issues, right? In order to get something fixed. So if you're running this in production and that's your support strategy, it's it's a little bit rough, right? If you don't yeah. understand it. But I'd say these tools do give you enough visibility. And since they are open source, if you're very you really want to dive deep into them, you can go down to the code level, right? So you get a lot of visibility into how things can break. But I, I would say. Um, it does require a fair amount of expertise in order to understand that. This is not just something that you, you could probably learn it in a, in a weekend, right? But you're not going to become an expert and you're really not going to learn anything until it breaks, right? Like that's kind of like any of these technologies at this point is you learn the most when you try to have to fix it. And um, and I'd say that's kind of where we at, are at today. Um, some of the more commercialized offerings like are so abstracted that it it's probably a little bit easier in the sense that you never really need to worry about what's going on underneath you can just open a support ticket and hope for the best but um at least like my experience with envoy so far has been such that um when it breaks i really need to know what's going on um because yeah i could probably search and it's popular enough that i'll probably find a github issue for what i ran into and and maybe that will tell me how to fix it but it's still a lot more useful for me to at least know which direction i'm heading in when it starts to break yeah I mean, I I do think that there are there are a couple of fundamental problems with abstracting things away that are as vague as something like service mesh that that have have come and gone with a lot of the you know how we go with like hosted Kubernetes or you start to lose um, some of that knowledge to support and um, so your your teams aren't as knowledgeable about those things like you mentioned that. You know, someone has to really know networking, and that from from the security side, it it becomes a, like a blurry line because you do have like network security specialists that probably won't know service mesh. Like they'll know the network side, but then there's a there's a there's a development or an engineering side to that that they either have to pick up or someone has to come from the other side on the you know from an application security perspective and try to learn networking. So there's this blend of skills that is happening as a result of, serv of services or uh, tools like Service Mesh that uh, change how we have to look at security. And for me, it's always, how can I evaluate this as early as possible? Because when, when you get into these technologies that are automated or these technologies that spin up infrastructure, your evaluation becomes very code centric as we've talked about you know on the podcast before and you have to evaluate that early because when you discover it it's not just like a single point that you are protecting it's it's going out to a fleet you know or it's spinning up multiple networks and you know or it's going to multiple regions where you wouldn't be able to review so reviewing that in post or reviewing that on the tail end of the life cycle is so hard because the endpoints are really defined programmatically and that becomes a real a real problem for security professionals to try to unwind all of that given our existing practices today trying to come at it from the you know from the offensive side or from the tail end so it becomes more and more important for us to get on the requirements uh, where these all where these things are defined and and 
figure it out then. Yeah, same, same, same on my end. I think it's so easy when you see something so abstracted where it's just, you know, make a really easy call to this, this service and everything else is handled. You start to, I feel like you start to take things for granted where, you know, this, you know, you're dealing with some massive sales company. I'm sure they're handling these things that I don't want to deal with. I'll send data uncompressed over the wire. I'll, um, you know, I'll, it's okay if like, I'm not following the best practices. I'm sure they're doing the right thing on their end. And so the abstraction and the the black box magic that's happening, I'm sure it's doing half the stuff that you think it's doing. Yeah, the interesting thing is you start to see security tunes change in organizations where uh, it be where we used to sort of like ram on audit driven security to say, you know, well, you know, are you using a you know a specific encryption algorithm or what what Cypress reader are you using? It becomes like, well, you know, it's more of the open source project's responsibility to deal with, with with that, and it's your responsibility to configure it. Did you configure it? And we lose some of those more granular checks that we used to to take on these types of things, uh, and it becomes you know almost word of mouth sometimes. So as security professionals, you know, out there, it's important for us to continue to evaluate these things in a very similar way that we have been, and and you know trust but verify on these services that are being used like service mesh to, to make sure that that load balancing is being handled correctly or that that, in, that mutual TLS is actually taken care of or that that service is part of the service mesh. You know, it goes back to your inventory thing. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's got to be taken care of in service mesh. Really, it's a legacy application that's operating outside of this entire ecosystem. Yeah. And over configuration. Yeah, and like anything, right? It's it's only as good as the configuration. If you configure it poorly, right, then at the end of the day, it's not going to be any more secure. You're not going to see all the the at least on the security side, you're not going to see all the benefits, right? Um, that that you would if you implement it correctly, right? So I, I think uh, it definitely, especially with a lot of the abstraction, um, like you know, all the cloud providers have made their own service mesh abstraction layer or service at this point. And, and with that, it does reduce the barrier to entry. But at the same time, with reducing the barrier to entry, you kind of start to introduce a, a potential for misconfiguration because folks are not understanding these things as well when they're just, you know, maybe they're spinning it up with Terraform or they're clicking through a wizard, you know, however, you know, they're, they're doing it. it. It's definitely going to put you in a situation where, um, since you have less of an idea of what you're doing, you probably a higher likelihood of making a mistake. Um, so I, I know like, yeah, at this point, I think all of the three major cloud providers have their their version. Um, I've only used uh, AppMesh uh, from, from AWS at this point, which is effectively Envoy, um, but with a little less features, but we won't get into that. Uh, but, and then, you know, Microsoft this week or last week uh, just came out with a new uh, open source um uh, service mesh that they're going to do- donate to uh, was it C- CNCF, and so with that, um, that that's just another competing open source project that is doing something similar. And then uh, Google, let's um, shoot, I'm, uh, Anthos is what they're using, and that's based off of Istio, right? So you now have you have Linkerd, you have Istio, you have Envoy, you have Console Connect, which you know HashiCorp uh, created a couple of years ago. Um, now you have this new Microsoft service, which I know nothing about, quite frankly, I have not, I, I read the article announcing it, did not look at it at all. Um, but with that, the, it's, 
it's almost as if, you know, the configuration for all of those are going to be different. And so even as like a security person, you're, you're going to have to become aware of, of all of these different flavors, or at least the, the benefit that they provide so that you can audit them appropriately. Because as you know, as we said before, it's like the configuration is only, or the, the implementation is only as good as the configuration. So, yeah, I mean, just if we just assume that we're configuring these things even correctly, like if we get away from what are the inherent potential issues with uh, service mesh, you know, at all, just from a configuration standpoint, even on, you know, in the security realm, you have to sort of enable those security features to even use them. So it's, you know, it's your, when you're talking about the certificate management, the authentication, the authorization, you know, all that is something that you have to really focus on using too. So your configuration is one thing, like, am I configuring this in securely, but am I even using, uh, you know, the features of the service mesh technology to, you know, operate within these security or to, to do these security things, right? So that, that I think that that is, there's like two facets there. And then am I doing it correctly is sort of the, the third step, you know, and security almost comes last in that uh, when, when you're implementing this initially. Like even when we first discussed it, we were talking about the service discovery, which had a security um, flavor to it, right? It was exciting for security. And you can, I think if you're a DevOps practitioner, you can get, some security ears <laughs> by talking about that. Like we, you know, this, this solves that problem, even though it's not a security feature and use that to, as to, to gain some buy-in from that security team. But even then, like they have to learn a whole new way to do certificate management, authentication, authorization. And trust that they're doing it correctly. I, I can't imagine how horrifying it must be <laughs> to audit these services again. I mean, just, integrating frameworks on my end, just thinking of, you know, here's all this awesome async functionality that it offers, but by convention, our framework defaults the number of threads to one. So just keep that in mind. From a security perspective, that's got to be absolutely horrifying. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it is, it is tough. It's like you have to learn those new technologies and you're not experts in it. You know, you, you, sort, you have to lean on the folks that are implementing it if you're not the one implementing it. Um, un, you know, unless you're coming into an organization with it already set up or, you know, if you're looking at putting this in place, um, Jameson, like you said, you have to take the time to learn that or encourage the team to use something that's supported like an abstracted service. I don't know. Does, do any of the CSPs have a, like a service mesh um, abstracted thing or service at this point, Jameson? They all do. Um, yeah. So like you're, you're talking like uh, like App Mesh, right, for AWS is basically abstracted Envoy, right? There's still a fair amount of application side configuration you need to do. There's still a fair amount of setup, but you don't have to set up like the control plane. It's similar to like to like EKS, right? You know, Kubernetes came out and everyone was like, holy cow, running a Kubernetes cluster, easy to set up, hard <laughs> to maintain. Um, and so, you know, Google kind of was first kid on the block to abstract the management plane to be like, you know, just worry about running containers and, and we'll, we'll take care of keeping this behemoth, uh, working. And, and then, you know, Amazon came around to the EKS and, and all that. And now, you know, all the cloud providers have their abstracted Kubernetes management plane. Right. And I, I see yeah. service mesh is a similar thing, right. Where at the end of the day, you're still responsible for the configuration of the service mesh of of, of in, in, integrating your applications with it, 
but the control plane, the management of that has been abstracted to you that you don't have to worry about keeping those services running. Someone else will do that, but still you, you have plenty of runway and room to totally screw up your implementation and, and create tons of mistakes. Like you were talking about configuring mutual TLS, right? Uh, I view it very similar to how you do um, um, SE Linux, right? Where, you know, my, my SE Linux, I have my, my, my strict mode and my permissive, right? Mutual TLS the same way. I can configure mutual TLS and Istio to be permissive and yep. who cares, right? I can get accept, encrypted and unencrypted traffic. If I set it to strict, right, I'm only getting that encrypted traffic. And, and like, you know, SE Linux the same way. I can have the best SE Linux rules. And if I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to put it in permissive mode because this is this is hard. It's breaking things. And then, you know, security comes along and says, oh, these SE Linux rules, they look great, but they don't do anything because it's in permissive. Yeah. So. And, and so you need to have that granular level of evaluation as opposed to that audit level where you're saying, oh, well, we use mutual TLS. That's awesome when you answer that question on a questionnaire. But if it, like you said, if it's back to the configuration thing, you know, um, it just goes completely south when just, in, you know, if you ask that one question, I yeah. think though, um, what I, I want to go back to is the abstracted uh, versions of this. So like AWS, and where it stands, because um, like my, I'm most familiar right now with the service discovery at OpenShift. And I can tell you that when you, or the open source version for, in OKD, is that when you spin that up, it's so easy with those Ansible playbooks that like you get to a point where you almost forget that it's there. And if you're experimenting with that as an engineer, you know, you sort of take for granted that some of the security stuff is taken care of. Of for you, and you also are expecting your security team to know the technology in the same way that you do, or better than you do from a security perspective. So my question for you there on the abstracted services was more like, how far is are these supported, and can security teams like work to trust that? Because in OpenShift, there's still a very, um, there's still a, like a very, you still have to have to have a a knowledge of OpenShift to evaluate and configure it correctly. In EKS, as an example for Kubernetes and AWS, a lot of the security is taken care of for you or you don't have control over it. It's so abstracted. So where is service mesh in that spectrum now for cloud service providers, just you know where you are in the DevOps world today? How yeah, much- sure. Sure, I mean, my, my perspective on it is, you know, they, I would say there are, um, there are defaults that are I wouldn't say secure defaults, but they are better than what you could do. But it's still there's plenty of room um, to make mistakes and and to kind of bite your yourself later on. And um, I, I still see e- even managed EKS is the same thing. Where yeah, the security of my control plane is managed, so I don't have to worry about that security. But I can still do some really gnarly thing in sin containers. Um, and I kind of see service mesh the same way. Is is that I my control plane is secure? How I interact with my control plane is secure. But I can still, I can still configure it in such a way where I'm exposing services to the internet, right, and uh, you know, um, and, and things like that. So I, I would say they've done a good job of of abstracting the management, but not a, like I, I think it's hard for any of these uh, cloud service providers to say that you know to, to to create a secure implementation. It comes back to our favorite topic, Ken, our other favorite topic. I have tons of favorite topics, I guess, but uh, <laughs> of the the shared uh, shared security model, right, where at a certain point that that configuration of service mesh, as long as the 
CSP side of that is is secure, right? And they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing. They they don't want to you know build you into too tight of a box where you can't do everything you need to do. So they kind of uh, delegate that responsibility to you to ensure that you have the flexibility you need to work with your architecture. But with that, you also get the burden of, hey, you actually need to use these things, right? Yeah. So uh, I think we've talked a lot about what it is, how we all view it. Uh, we're you know, coming up on time. Uh, what I do want to maybe ask the, the two of you, and maybe we can go around the, around the table here, is Jameson, for you, since you've sort of led the, the descriptive part of this, have you had any pushback in the past or overcome any adversity with security or product engineering in getting service mesh deployed, convincing them to use it, um, or convincing them that it's the right way to go and overcome any of that, that you can give tips out on of how you've overcome that or, uh, what kind of pushback you've gotten? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I can draw also on my experience with SDN even, right? Um, I, I, as I mentioned at the top of this, I've been championing uh, uh, complex network technologies for a long time. Um, with SDN, a lot of this, the a lot of that was security driven with, you know, how I can reroute my traffic uh, to bypass uh, some of my choke points typically I would in a virtualized infrastructure uh, where, you know, I, so I can route my east-west traffic more efficiently and you know, at the same time, provide observability still, and so that was a lot of the driver for using SDN um, it, when when I worked on that. And then on the service mesh side, um, I think that in the early days, not a lot of folks knew what it was. They seemed like it, it just seemed like additional complexity with no benefit. Um, Netflix did a really good job of popularizing uh, Zool and Eureka, and and kind of showing the benefits of these service proxies. And showing you know what they're capable of, and then that kind of has driven that service mesh discussion on the dev side, where they see these additional um, you know capabilities that they can add to an application. But on the service mesh side, I don't have to implement them as frameworks uh, in my application. Instead, I can implement them as part of my abstraction layer. Um, and on the security side, I think it's really as always it's an education thing, right? If you you know pinky swear promise whatever. Uh, that you're going to use these things correctly and that, hey, yes, I will allow you to audit these. I will give you my configs. We will make you part of the implementation to ensure that things are done right. I think it's an easy sell. It's, you know, as I said before, there's something for everyone here, right? I don't think any one group stands to benefit or loses by implementing a service mesh. Or if anything, maybe everyone loses a little bit because there's that added complexity. <laughs> but um, I think in, in the end, the benefits kind of outweigh, in, in a lot of cases, I should say, uh, in a lot of our architectures, the benefits outweigh the cons. And with that, I think it's an easy sell, especially now that it's it's a buzzword, it's popular. Folks get really excited about it, myself included. Um, so yeah. <laughs> well, at least you can attach yourself to something. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll hold mine. Simon, any any um, like feedback on that or? Um... Yeah, I agree with most of that. I, I think the biggest struggle for me is based on the level of maturity of the company and where you are in terms of how much traffic you're receiving as an organization, it's really hard to um, adopt um, a service met sorry a service mesh across the board. Um, you know you'll usually still have the remnants of monoliths. you'll have microservices that aren't quite there. they may be you know set up differently than others so you can get 
a good service mesh layer up to maybe, you know, 70, 85% of your stack, which means it's not really that useful because really you want to be able to leverage it across your entire platform. So that part's really frustrating to me. It's really hard to get that across the finish line. Uh, but overall, yeah, easy adoption. I think it's a great next step in terms of how uh, engineering is abstracting um, tough problems into a centralized place that everyone can use easily. And on, on the, the security front, same here. I feel like, at least from a product engineering perspective, the issues that we're facing, I think, will be mostly configuration, knock on wood. So, you know, in terms of asks and things that need to be fixed, uh, it should be a pretty easy leverage. And I think that's easy to convince uh, a product engineering team to take care of. Got it. I would say it's probably not as easy as you uh, alluded to to convince <laughs> the security, security team of this. And I'll and I'll say two two questions that I would I would have um, if somebody came to me with service mesh. And one is um, if my existing security talent pool is not does not cater to a service mesh a service mesh. I'm gonna. I hope, I hope your tech org is not doing service mesh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if it's a you know, how am I going to take my existing security talent and either train them up on service mesh? And, you know, are you willing to help us with that uh, if they're not there already uh, and and work to audit that? Because basically or work to assess that because, you know, you're you're asking us to learn something completely new and security teams are, you know, let's be honest, most of the time understaffed anyway in comparison yeah. to maybe a, a product engineering team. So that would be like my first hurdle to pass you is, you know, how can you help me do that? And Jameson in the past, like, you know, when we work together, you help to deliver that knowledge, right? So I think that that's an important thing for DevOps to understand that security is going to come at it for. The other is security is usually behind when it comes to operationalizing their tasks. So if you're talking about, or and not because of any, I mean, maybe it is a bit our fault, but it's, you know, we're usually not, you know, running our testing every sprint or we're not building in requirements. There's some gap in security usually that we're having to catch up with other organizations. So I think that the way to sell it to security is, you know, you're going to save me some time in, ass in assessments and in audits or, or whatever it might be because you're going to deliver this knowledge and help me get, help me get my team, like basically... Uh, make my team more effective by easing their workload through this process. Um, and also, how are we going to transition our existing processes to this new thing and maintain not only the security of the organization, but obviously we're going to be answering to audit of the organization. I think what some folks don't realize is that security also answers to to audit. You know, we're not just like, we don't want to do the dumb audit stuff as much as anyone else, right? We want to make sure that that audit is driven through, you know, a security lens and that we're sort of, you know, we meet the audit by doing the right thing, not by checking the box. And so if we're going through that process, we need to know that we're not only going to meet the audit requirements, but we're enhancing the security posture and, and moving things in the right direction. And I think that that's a huge hurdle for security to, to overcome. So I, you know, my advice to DevOps teams is to, you know, offer to help get them to that level if they're not there already. And if they are, great. Um, how is it going to improve their existing process? And I think security has to think of it the same way. If they're trying to pitch the security aspects of service mesh, if it's if it's security that's delivering this as a as a potential solve, is how would it how does it save the time of 
product engineering teams and how does it how does it in hours per developer um, save money for the organization and get product engineers to build security tools as security stakeholders yeah or or even just get security to do some some development right <laughs> and to to try to get them to build some tools as well yeah. And I mean, I'd say, Ken, those are, those are very fair critiques. Right. And, and, you know, like we always talk about it, it's uh, selling things is easier than, or is harder than, um, it, than hard, just making, implementing the thing, right. The technical stuff while challenging and complex, right. Is always going to be easier than the, the people side of convincing folks and, and kind of building that following or, or championing that technology internally. So um, but yeah, and, and as I said before, like it really, I, I keep coming back to it. There is something for everyone and all this stuff is still under active development. And so I, I think the name of this episode should be there's something for everyone. Um, <laughs> but uh, like there's, there's still things under active development. And, you know, if you want to get involved, you, you can. If you want to add security features, you can. Uh, one thing that I came across over the weekend, just kind of perusing uh, some of my, my notes was like in Envoy right now in the development branch. Um, you know, they're adding um, uh, net network taps, right, as like an, as a functionality, right? So I can effectively do a full packet capture off of my service mesh at some point, um, which is pretty exciting. I haven't read too much into it, but like that, I know for, for a lot of folks, that's like the holy grail of, of network auditing. So uh, pretty cool. And as I said, it's still a lot of stuff that's still being developed. So got it. Thanks, man. No, I, I appreciate you bringing up the topic. And I think that, uh, yeah, it's it's like it's a really good thing to to dig into. Um, any final thoughts on service mesh? We're running a little bit over on this one, but you know, I, I've really enjoyed this topic. So, um, and it's it's made me think a lot about it. And I've had to go and like research my own stuff and just refresh my memory. So I appreciate you bringing it up. Trust but verify. There's yeah. something for everyone. Yeah, I I personally liked uh, um, sidecarring applications like Sean Connor and Indiana Jones. I mean, that was. That's a pretty good one, I got to admit. <laughs> well, look, that wraps it up for this episode. As always, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what we're doing here, please go ahead and give us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. We're available on most platforms now. Uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, our website is up. If you prefer to listen there, it's www.r2dso.com. And if you have questions, feedback, topics uh, you'd like to hear or have us discuss, or if you even just want to chat about the show, you can reach us at security at r2dso.com or on Twitter at r2dso. See you all next week.